Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. On this week's Ultimate Tennessee podcast, Tennessee has a Tiger two-step with Missouri last night on Tuesday in Columbia and the Auburn Tigers coming to Thompson Bowling Arena this weekend. We've got lots of analysis on those two games. Plus, was Tuesday night's win over Missouri Kennedy Chandler's best game in a Tennessee uniform? All that and Lucas Panzeca lets me talk about baseball. So today's a win on the Ultimate Tennessee Podcast. Will Bowling, Lucas Panzeca, and the best insiders covering the Vols on Rocky Top each and every week. It's the Ultimate Tennessee Podcast on the Zone Podcast Network. It is a brand new edition of the UT Podcast where Tennessee goes on the road and picks up a win on Tuesday night. Uh, number four, Auburn. Number three, Auburn, depending on where you go, is coming to Thompson Bowling Arena this weekend. We've got baseball to talk about. Something that I am happy with literally in any way. Uh, Will Bowling, Lucas Panzeca with you. Lucas, I think if you told me we had to talk like Little League Baseball on this podcast, I would still be happy uh, to talk about that sport. I know you would. Now, does it make you happy when you talk about lack of baseball when it comes to the MLB lockout? Like that type of baseball makes you sad. Uh, it does. Uh, it does. I, I, I'm still riding the high of a World Series championship, so I can't get too upset because... Uh, like the last good thing that happened in that sport was revolved around my team and the team that I have like loved as much as any other team in my life. So, um, yeah, bittersweet. I think I, if I was a, a diehard Braves fan, I would say let's never play baseball again. Let's Honestly, let that be my last memory <laughs> of baseball. Well, with some of this Freddie Freeman stuff, I, I that thought has crossed my mind, which I'm. This is not a Braves podcast, but most of you are Braves fans that listen to this anyway. So, like, just while we're here, like, we'll still believe it when I see it that that guy's not coming back. But I like, just, how is it going to get better than that? Winning a World Series oh. with Freddie with the ball in the glove of Freddie Freeman on first base for the final out to win a World Series, like I that that might be your peak in your. I don't want to like curse the rest oh, of your I mean, manhood, but it's hard to imagine it's anything better than that, especially with the recent reports of Freeman potentially signing elsewhere so it's yeah, a good you, man i just say you know what let's just lock this thing out for good the funny thing was when dansby swanson had the ball in his glove to make the last out he could have tagged a guy or stepped on second but he literally like double clutched and then threw it first yeah it wouldn't <laughs> like, have been right it wouldn't have been right <laughs> but we do have college baseball to talk yes about. yes we do and we will do that towards the end of the show because uh, there's a tennessee pitcher that speaking of major league baseball is being compared to two aces in college, uh, in, in Major League Baseball, who are like two of the best, maybe the two best pitchers in baseball right now. So uh, you can think about that. And later on, I'll basically tell you if your thought just now was right or very wrong uh, based on who those pitchers are. But Tennessee loses all over the weekend to Arkansas, uh, a very predictable loss. Just of, of like of the predictable losses that I have seen in sports this year, it's up there with the top, up there with. Tottenham losing to Burnley after beating Manchester City for those for the 1% of you that are also soccer fans that listen to this podcast. Um, 
but I mean, like this was just always going to happen after Tennessee beat Kentucky and Thompson Bowling Arena. Sure. Uh, I mean, losing on the road against an Arkansas team that at that point had won 10 of its last 11 at this point. Now, if my math is correct, has won 12 of its last 13 is one of the hottest teams yeah. in the SEC and really one of the hottest teams in America right now. You know, that that's not something to sit here and stew about. Now, certainly you can talk about the way that it panned out. Uh, Tennessee putting out probably its worst offensive output of the season. Sure. And we've seen some duds. But I think that's fair to say, and a lot of things that go into that, key guys, guards, multiple of them getting into foul trouble way too early, the way that knocked Tennessee off its rhythm. A lot of that is credit to, to Arkansas and, and the way they make things difficult on defense. Just an all-around bad day and a very poor shooting night from Tennessee. But to see them bounce back the way they did at Missouri, certainly a much, much lesser team, but still a team that – we all know Conzo Martin wants to make things difficult. They want to make games miserable to watch. And that didn't happen for Tennessee. That felt like it was either going to be a grinded out, just gross, get out of there with a win and get the hell back to Knoxville or able to run away from them, get out to a run in the first half and basically put it away after getting a double digit lead against a team that really can't put anything together on offense and hasn't been able to all season. The latter is what happened. So they bounced back about as well as they could have from the worst offensive output of the season on Saturday at Arkansas. And that offensive output was just not making threes. They literally did not hit about three or four wide open three point shots that I can remember. Santiago Vescovi had one of the big ones, but talking to Ron Slade Tuesday on the morning show, he was like, yeah, the, you should not change anything from that performance. He thought that was an anomaly. I actually wasn't so sure. And then Tennessee beats Missouri by 19. Yeah. It was only eight guys that played for Missouri, but still, a 19-point win in the SEC on the road is always a good thing. Yeah, uh, and Rick Barnes did do some things differently, and, and, yeah, and we'll kind of we'll get to that here. Yeah. So I was it was kind of intriguing to see some of the lineups that he trotted out, and I'm curious to see what that means going forward as they take on Auburn on Saturday, and obviously the presence Auburn has down low with Walker Kessler right. and some of the changes in rotation for Tennessee's post players on Tuesday night. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be interesting to see how that Missouri game and Auburn game link together as we are in the week of former coaches with Conzo Martin <laughs> on Tuesday and Bruce Pearl coming to Knoxville on Saturday. Yeah, in honor of Jeff Brom in the Music City Bowl. More yes. former coaches wow. from Tennessee. Wow. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's, it, it's going to be an interesting game on Saturday because uh, you talk about the length of Auburn matching up with the length of Tennessee. Dane Bradshaw, who we're going to talk with on the morning show tomorrow, as we record this on a Wednesday, talks all the time about Kennedy Chandler's six foot seven wingspan and how he can guard bigger guys and make more plays with his go go gadget arms, like Coach Mack would say uh, on the defensive end. But that matchup between Jabari Smith and Josiah Jordan James at the four, and then whoever Tennessee's five is against Walker Kessler, if Jonas Adu can make Walker Kessler as uncomfortable as he made Oscar Shibway, Tennessee is just going to win. It, it really might be that simple. So that's going to be a, a really fascinating game. Yeah, so with Jonas Adu, I, I, it was interesting to see him play against Missouri because it feels like he's so close. Uh, he already is a legitimate impact player on the defensive end as a rim protector. We've, we've, we've talked about that, just inserting him right off the bat. He was already that, arguably to the extent of, you know, anybody since Kyle Alexander yeah. at Tennessee. But it feels like he, he's so close to being a legitimate impact player on offense. And we saw that on Tuesday. 
for the first time, it feels like there was a concerted effort to get him the ball around the rim on offense. And he yeah. only scored five points, missed plenty of shots in that area. He was one of eight from the floor, actually. Uh, but if he can find consistency scoring the ball and get some of those, you know, kind of mid-range hook shots or just take it straight to the rim, buckets to fall, uh, if he can find that consistency, it's going to continue to raise the level of this team's ceiling. So. Yeah. I think that only comes from continuing to give him valuable minutes against an Auburn or an Arkansas. So I'm intrigued to see uh, he got 23 minutes in that game right. uh, against Missouri. So that's going to be fascinating to see how much Rick Barnes trusts him. If that's him just throwing him into the fire into an SEC road game where they were in control to see how he responded, or if that's a sign of things to come against a team like Auburn and Walker Kessler, who is leading the nation in blocks per game. He is the best rim protector in college basketball. Uh, is Rick Barnes just going to let Jonas A do loose and say, all right, go head to head. Let's see what you got. Uh, I wonder if what we saw on Tuesday was a sign of that to come on Saturday. Yeah, and I think a big part of that was John Fulkerson being a little banged up after the loss to Arkansas. Uh, came out of that game with a hip pointer injury that Rick Barnes mm -hmm. said after the game. Like, yeah, he tried it, said he didn't really feel great. You know, we didn't push it. And obviously, you don't push it against a Missouri team that's playing their fifth game in 11 days and only has eight players available. Also, a Missouri team that doesn't have walk-ons. Like, can we just talk about that for a second? That doesn't make any sense to me. Missouri basketball is in <laughs> shambles. I mean, look, I'm sorry. No, uh, besides, I mean <laughs> besides his past with, with Tennessee, like if Missouri does not move on from Conzo Martin, then I, I don't know what they're doing. They, they must not want to win. I'm, I've been saying the same thing about Georgia, right? Like we're going to find out if Georgia gives a damn about basketball uh, in terms of whether or not they fire Tom Crean, because that has been an abject disaster. Right. Uh, but if Missouri does not move on from Conzo Martin and go grab a Kim English, right, who Tennessee fans all know has done a great job with George Mason, a former star player at Mizzou, then what are they even doing, man? That crowd yeah. was pitiful. That it's was crazy. pitiful. It's the saddest crowd I have seen in the SEC all season long by, by a long shot, and I was at the Tennessee Vandy game where students weren't allowed <laughs> in the building. That was a far better environment, and I, it's a rivalry game. Maybe that's a bad example, but, uh, man, it, it that was just sad to see with, with their brand of basketball combined with how bad they are and the fan turnout this year. Yeah, Missouri, you know. Come on, uh, you're better than this as a program. Well, stay tuned because Tennessee plays at Georgia next week, so you have plenty yeah. of time to one-up that crowd or or sure. one down that crowd. Well, Georgia has played hard. I'll give it to them. They played, yeah. they, you know, they, they knocked off Alabama. They they were a shot away from beating Auburn. And I do. And players are, you know, Conzo Martin is known for for being a players' coach. Players yeah. that play under him always always have his back. But man, that that was that was tough to watch. Uh, you know, with how good the SEC's been and all the to go from mm -hmm. Bud Walton Arena on a Saturday yeah. at Arkansas to what you saw in Missouri on Tuesday, man, that could not have been any more different. That they'll always have that win over Alabama where they got to chant yeah. just like football, Georgia. But um <laughs> I mean, I think we can ask the question at this point if this was Kennedy Chandler's best game uh at Tennessee. I think it's certainly up there. Uh, 23 points for him, 38 turnover-free minutes. That, to me, is more important than the points because he's creating more for the other guys on the floor. Eight rebounds, six assists. He flirted with a triple-double. I think this is absolutely uh, – it's definitely the most complete game that Kennedy Chandler's played in Tennessee uniform, which probably makes it the best game he's played in the UT uniform. Yeah, yeah. I think you would stack it up with that early December game against Colorado, a team yeah, that's played right. pretty well uh, this season. They're they're almost to 20 wins. They might be a tournament team. 27 points, if I'm not mistaken, uh -huh. in that game, a career high for Kennedy Chandler. Yeah. Uh, that was the first time we kind of saw him flash scoring the ball and said, okay, right. 
you know, the, the potential is there to live up to the billing. But yeah, j- just as far as his command and the way he affected the game uh, in, in different ways, assists, rebounds, steals, all better marks than that 27 point performance against Colorado and the timing of the performance. You know, in that game in December, like I said, we saw him just flash as a scorer, but there was still not an answer about his consistency, about how he would fare against the grueling SEC schedule. And in the most important moments of the season, well, we're less than a week away from March. So it's a, it's a positive thing for Tennessee that their most talented player on the roster is matching performance with potential at this point in the season, albeit against a bad Missouri team, but he was flying all over the place. You can just, you can physically see his confidence growing as the season gets later and later on. And and Rick Barnes and Chandler both said after the game that that was because he was attacking the rim a lot more and not settling for jump shots. That's something Mm -hmm. that they really kind of, I think, talked to him about after the Arkansas loss. And and Kennedy Chandler said after the game, that was Coach Barnes talking to me, even though I'm open, don't settle for jump shots. Me attacking is the best part of my game. Attacking and finding my teammates open is what he said. It was his third game with uh, 20 or more points. First one was UT Martin in the regular season opener. Then Colorado. The key difference, though, Lucas, he had 20 shots to get to 27 against Colorado. He was 9 of 12 from the field against Missouri. He's not only making himself better by attacking the rim more and getting inside, he's making Jonas Aydu and Uroš Plavsic better. And even Brandon Huntley-Hatfield, all three of those guys had dunks. High percentage looks. That's that's kind of UT's only points in the paint right now are putbacks. Kennedy Chandler giving you a wide open layup, or what? I, I shouldn't say wide open layup because they've missed those. A wide open dunk uh, or the mid range 15 footer because this is just not a Tennessee team that's going to throw it down on the low block and have somebody you know work their way into a hook shot that's going to consistently go in. Yeah, that's why it was it was strange to see them do that a little more than they usually have with Jonas yeah. Adu in this game. But you're right. Chandler, when he's on the floor, he's the fastest guy on the floor 90% of the time. That's correct. So to see him be able to utilize that, and, and he's smart in the way he's attacking the rim, right? Because he, he ran into this issue a lot. Uh, you know, Chandler's, what, six foot, six one. He ran into the issue a lot early season where he had kind of these reversal efforts. And really, most of the times he attacked, he was getting blocked around mm-hmm. the rim. And he's found a way to around that at using his speed and just being smarter about the way he attacks. And yeah, so th- that's why I do think this is his best performance as of all. And look, ten- it, like I said, it's almost March. Tennessee fans, I know if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a Tennessee fan. Cherish your time with Kennedy Chandler. Yeah. Because it's running out. Yeah. It's running out. I don't know how many games you got left with him. You got what? Uh, three regular least, season games left. And then four. it's. And yes, at least four with the SEC tournament, uh, and then nothing past that is promised. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so embrace that, man, because you you don't know how much longer you got with them. He, he's certainly a he, he's a special talent. So, a guy that I think could be an X factor for Tennessee moving forward is Victor Bailey, and anybody who has followed him this year knows that he was probably expected to be much more of a sharpshooter, an offensive guy off the bench, and his role has completely changed for Tennessee. It's obvious that whatever a player adds to his role on a Rick Barnes team, it's because they've gotten better at defense and they improved what they've done on the defensive end. And Victor Bailey at this point is outplaying Justin Powell on the defensive end. So he's the offensive bench guy that gets to come in at the two instead of Justin Powell. It is legitimately that simple. Um, uh, Rick Barnes had a ton of compliments for this guy after the Missouri game, his most productive outing since he scored 14 points against Presbyterian, uh, on November the 30th, 
had seven points by halftime, which is the most he'd had since the SEC opener at Alabama. And that was a game where he had to score because Kennedy Chandler and John Fulkerson were hurt in that game. Uh, really had a good game, 11 points, 18 minutes, five of eight off the, flo- uh, off the bench uh, from the field. Uh, the dude can be a really big X factor for this team. Yeah, it, it was interesting to see Justin Powell get no minutes and Bailey yeah. get all of his minutes. Uh, he needed that performance. Rick Barnes echoed that a little bit. He, he's constantly praised Victor Bailey's work rate uh, and, and not really faltering in that aspect. But I guess it, it does come down to that because Justin Powell has not really produced the way I think a lot of people thought he would this season. He's averaging, uh, pulling up both of their stats now, Powell is averaging four and a half points per game he's at 38 percent clip from three which is a solid mark and then you look at victor bailey 23 percent from three he's really struggled to shoot the ball averaging just three points per game so powell is a better marksman there's no doubt about yeah, that right. but it's going to come down to who's the better defender and i think bailey was active on defense uh had some confidence building shots that they're going to need him moving forward they're going to need both of them moving forward but when it comes to who deserves those minutes more i guess we have that answer at this point i guess it's victor bailey until it's not uh, because Barnes has has publicly challenged Justin Powell about the defensive aspect of his game, really for most of the season. So now we're sitting here with three regular season games left, and Bailey's getting all of his minutes. So there's your answer. It's kind of weird, Justin Powell's role, because I feel like, and this this is going to sound bad, so it's not bad, but I feel like Tennessee fans or just basketball fans just see the white dude on the floor and are like, oh, he just shoots threes. But I feel like his game on the offense is so much more than just being Skylar McBee and being the guy that is literally only there to shoot threes. Like, he played point guard for Auburn last year before Shreve Cooper played for Auburn. Like, I I still think that there is something for him to unlock. And Rick Barnes said this after the game and said, we felt Victor was uh, was in a flow there with it and didn't want to get him out of that rhythm. He said, Justin Powell is going to have a game where he keeps doing what he's doing. Um, it said the identity of our team, and we said it since day one, there is not a guy on our team that hasn't helped us win a game this year. We're still kind of waiting on the Justin Powell game at this point. Yeah. He hasn't, he hasn't popped off yet. And the way he did a few times uh, against Auburn, there was a game last season, uh, Auburn in the SEC that I can't remember who they were playing. It was career high, career game there where he had 29 points. Yeah. I mean, where just, you see that confidence and that rhythm from him and, and he, we just haven't seen that this season. But you're right. I mean, he's a good cutting guard. He's flashed yeah. that a few times from the wing or wherever he's handling the basketball. Uh, so that's going to be interesting uh, to see that play out because it's probably going to be those two kind of jockeying for those minutes moving forward. Uh, Bailey certainly has, has – he has the work rate that Rick Barnes continues to praise, and I guess that's one big reason why he's gotten those minutes. But they're going to need Justin Powell to hit some big shots down the stretch, especially if Josiah Jordan-James continues to maybe – not bring that 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 third scoring option that he has been in the last month. And Bescovy's had a slight drop off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're going to need Powell in a moment. You know, there's going to be a moment or two where they really need him in March. So uh, we'll, we'll see how many minutes he gets against his former team. Uh, he's certainly going to want to be out there. I'm interested to see that. This was also the first time in about a month that Zakai Ziegler had not scored in double digits and Tennessee won by 19. Mm-hmm. Like, at the beginning of the season, all of those guards had to be at least good. And none of them could have an off night for Tennessee to have a chance to win. And now as more guys are stepping up, you're you're seeing a margin for error increase. There's not as much pressure on your freshman backup point guard to come save you in the second half as there was, which I think bodes better for Tennessee's future on the road away from Thompson Bowling Arena. Because I've said it all year on this podcast, Lucas, as you know, like 
the biggest question is, can Tennessee shoot outside of Thompson Bowling Arena the way they shoot inside Thompson Bowling Arena? You can make the argument the, the Arkansas game was not what this revamped Tennessee lineup is because no one else has won at Mississippi State other than, uh, at the time, Tennessee in the SEC, uh, which was a great win. But uh, we're going to find out over these next couple weeks. Yeah, we will. Uh they were 50% on Tuesday. I, just, I don't know how much stock you put into that game. Uh, like we, we've already talked about the, how bad the crowd was, how bad Missouri has been this year, how thin they are. Uh, but it was interesting to see Barnes still trying things in that game. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you had a lineup of Kennedy Chandler, Zakai Ziegler, Jonas Adu, and Huntley Hatfield and Victor Bailey uh, for quite a stretch there in the first yeah. half. I don't, I don't think we've seen that once this year. Probably not. <laughs> uh, probably not. Cause we really Bailey has struggled to get minutes at uh, all this year. And Huntley Hatfield hasn't consistently gotten minutes since, you know, a, a few weeks ago. So no, I don't think we've seen that at all this season. So he appears to still be tinkering with some things. Uh, you see a do get 23 minutes, Huntley Hatfield get 18 and Fulkerson and Plavsic both get 11 minutes or less. Fulkerson was on the floor for six minutes in that game. So uh, Rick Barnes still still toying with some things as we get into this matchup against Auburn. It is uh, very interesting, and I think by the time Tennessee plays in the SEC tournament, Jonas Adu will be starting at center. Honestly, I'm calling sure. my shot there. Yeah, no, physically he, he's going to match up better with with the better post players you're going to go up against at tournament time than anybody else will. I mean, yeah. he just will, uh, especially defensively. There's no question about it. And that first real test is going to be in the Auburn game against Walker Kessler. You know, other than Oscar yeah. Sheboy, there's not a better post player in the country than, than Walker Kessler. So right. uh, that's going to be a huge litmus test for Jonas Adu. His performance on Saturday could really set the trajectory for how much this team is able to lean on him uh, down the rest, the rest of the way. Yeah, I like it. Uh, all right, Lucas, is this where I get to talk about baseball now? Yeah, so let, <laughs> let's get into this. Uh, really, the, the key thing is, as Tennessee opened up the season over the weekend with, with a, a blowout sweep over Georgia Southern, 14 to nothing on Sunday to close it out. They, they were in a, what looked like a kind of a fun battle with Tennessee Tech yeah. uh, on Tuesday before the rain kind of wiped it away, and we're sitting here in the midst of their game against UNC Asheville in Knoxville. But really, the, the, main, the main takeaway, I, I want to kind of get to something this team lacked a little bit last year okay. in their College World Series run that – it seems like, as I look at the score, seven nothing. Tennessee leads in the fourth mm -hmm. over UNC Asheville. As I look at this pitching staff, uh, am I wrong in saying it appears as though this team has added more than anything velocity to its pitching staff? Because that has been what stuck out to me the most over these first four and a half games or so. I think that's a fair point, and I think a lot of that speaks to the guys who were unavailable the past two years. Uh, two years ago, Garrett Crochet who goes from being a top 10 draft pick to starting, not starting, to playing in an ALDS game with the Chicago White Sox in the same year he was drafted, in a pandemic year, uh, of which he was hurt at the beginning of in 2020 with Tennessee. So you didn't get to see Garrett Crochet at all in 2020. The season ends, he gets drafted, the rest is history. By the way, my hot take that Garrett Crochet was the best pitcher in college baseball that year continues to age pretty well, better than Kamar Rocker, has better stuff, throws in the low 100s, um, and is a really, really just outstanding pitcher. So you had that. And then last season in 2021, you lose Ben Joyce at the beginning of the season, a guy uh, who throws uh, it, on his first pitch of the season the other day against Georgia Southern. His first pitch was 100. So there's two flamethrowers from 2020 and 2021 who, with arm issues, uh, were out and unavailable. Um, 
I think the biggest thing about about Tennessee this year, you add some velocity with Chase Dollinger, the Georgia Southern transfer, uh, who had 11 strikeouts and five scoreless innings before giving up some runs just with some bad defense uh, against Georgia Southern in the sixth the other day. But Blade Tidwell is going to be the the ace of this staff. And talking to Tony Vitello last year in the the one series I called for SEC Network Plus last year, he told me when Blade Tidwell was a freshman, this guy thinks he can be at Garrett Crochet level velocity and ability by the time he leaves here. Uh, and that's going to be this year. Uh, Blade Tidwell is a draft-eligible sophomore. This is going to be his last season at Tennessee. Dealing with some, some elbow, I think, shoulder soreness, uh, which you completely baby if you're a coaching staff or training staff because soreness like that can lead to Tommy John surgery in the blink of an eye. So in non-conference play, you're probably not going to see Blade Tidwell until the SEC season at the earliest. But I think that guy is going to be a different-looking pitcher. He, he played shortstop at, uh, uh, in high school, uh, moved to pitcher as his more projectable position full-time in college. He can make a really big sophomore jump. So I think you've got him. You've got Chase Dollander, who's throwing in the upper 90s. Uh, you've got Redmond Walsh, who's more of a crafty, lefty, three-quarters delivery kind of guy out of the bullpen. Uh, and then you've got Joyce, who we mentioned, and Tidwell, who I think can be a mid to upper 90s guy, along with freshman Chase Burns from Beach, who threw 97. So there's way more info than you asked for about Tennessee's pitching staff. But I think you're right that this group uh, has a higher ceiling just based on the high velocity MLB ready arms they have in the staff. So with that, what kind of X factor does a guy, you know, because you bring in on top of all of that, a guy who was 8 0. Uh, in his career or last season, I should say, with Vanderbilt, he transfers over to Tennessee, and here's here comes Ethan Smith. Yeah, uh, to into that bullpen. So, what does Tennessee get in Ethan, Ethan Smith? You're kind of getting a little bit of an unproven guy who just got lost in the shuffle at Vanderbilt. Um, uh, from what I've seen out of him, I mean, he's a guy that uh, was hurt uh, last year, I believe. Uh, COVID opted out in 2020. Um, in that, or well, he had a shortened season, obviously, in 2020, so that's not an opt out. But he had 23 strikeouts in 19 innings, uh, only made eight appearances uh, as a junior in 2021. Um, had two strikeouts in a regional, played a, a little bit in the postseason, just never really got going with them. But 18 strikeouts in 12 and two thirds innings, only three walks. I mean, the, those strikeout numbers are very projectable. 17 appearances as a freshman. I, it's kind of hard to understand why he didn't get more playing time uh, at Vanderbilt. But I think there were some kind of extenuating circumstances there. Uh, he's from Mount Juliet High School, which is where uh, former Tennessee reliever Seth Hunley was from, uh, who was just drafted this past year and graduated from this program. So uh, certainly a place and an area of baseball that Tennessee has a lot of familiarity with. But it's interesting, Lucas, getting a guy from Vandy because – uh, Tim Corbin runs his program probably the exact opposite way that Tony Vitello runs it, and, and not really in a bad way. There's more than one way to to run a, a baseball program, but uh, very different culture at Tennessee than there is here in Nashville. So we know how much firepower this team brings back. They certainly lose some, but Jordan Beck uh, could be one of the best hitters in the SEC this season. Trey Lipscomb, Luke Lipsius, Drew Gilbert yeah. uh, comes back. So, so I ask you, what's this team's biggest weakness? I mean, what's Tennessee lacking uh, as we look ahead to the SEC slate? They don't have experience at the plate yet. I mean, that, you mentioned some of those guys, and, and Jordan Beck is a guy they think can be a first-round pick this year in the MLB draft. He's got that level of potential, preseason All-American, you know, 
Uh, I, I think that is a really big piece of it. I'm really interested to see how Seth Stevenson does. Um, a really fast guy, hit 500 in the first series against Georgia Southern, three RBIs, three stolen bases. Uh, that's something Tennessee didn't have as much last season was just the Enrique Bradfield, right? I mean, he, he kind of stole the show for Vanderbilt every series the uh, the Commodores played last year. Yeah, so much fun. Like, that is the ultimate equalizer in Omaha. And that's where Tennessee completely fell on their face last season because they live in a bandbox of a ballpark in Knoxville. Lindsey Nelson Stadium is tiny. It is a hitter's park. The way that Tennessee has recruited these big power bats that can pull to either side of the field. I mean, Jordan Beck can just kind of wave his bat and it's going to go over the short porch to left or right. That's not the case in Omaha. Uh, the way the stadium is built, the way the wind blows in instead of out at that stadium, it's got bigger dimensions. It's harder to play the kind of game Tennessee plays at home in Omaha and win. Uh, and we saw them try to play that game, and they hit balls to the warning track. They couldn't quite get it out in Omaha. Tennessee's got to be more of a small ball team. I'm not sure really what the identity of this team yet is at the plate, so I'm interested to see what that looks like. Here's the biggest weakness, though. The the one thing they don't have, they have no experience at catcher. Absolutely none. They had a ton last year with Connor Pavloni and Jackson Greer, two seniors, uh, Jackson Greer coming from ETSU is a transfer, and Connor Pavloni gets drafted by the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, two really good guys. Evan Russell moved from left field to catcher just because Tennessee had to have his bat in the lineup because Christian Scott and, and some of these other guys and Kyle Booker needed a spot. So you've got a converted left fielder at catcher, and I worry about Evan Russell throwing guys out at second. Uh, it's going to take a while. I see teams in the SEC running all over Tennessee, and it's going to make their pitching a little bit worse because those guys are going to have to press a little bit, and if you speed up your delivery by just five-tenths of a second, then everything can be off and you can be walking guys. So I think that's the biggest thing. Tennessee's got to prove that they can throw guys out at second on the base paths uh, and just defensively calling a game, stopping the ball behind the plate. There's so much more than goes into catching than just hitting. And Evan Russell is going to be able to hit and make up for some of his mistakes at catcher at the plate. But I really worry about him just throwing guys out at second because he did not do a great job of that against Georgia Southern. Be interesting to see where they go as far as a hitting team and stacking up with the SEC. Because I remember that being a huge point of contention going yeah. to Omaha, you know, and, and a lot of it kind of people kind of brushed it off, you know, saying that was overblown, the size of the ballpark. Well, it ended up, it ended up being a very real thing for Tennessee. Yeah, right. They really, you're right. They struggled to get it out. And you lose strength and conditioning coach Quentin Eberhardt to take the same role in the MLB with the Chicago Cubs. He was so instrumental in Tennessee's improvements as a power hitting team. So, yeah, I guess that's something we just don't really know yet. And we'll find out as the season goes along. It's a big weekend on Rocky Top. Fans have been showing up in droves yeah. at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. There's added seating down the first baseline, I believe. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun to follow. Iona comes to Knoxville this weekend. They're Auburn bad. They comes to oh Iona is okay. Well, if you want to if you want a hitting show, then then check out Lindsey Nelson Stadium this weekend. But the real show in town, obviously, on Saturday is going to be the one central two o'clock tip off. Two yeah. Eastern tip-off against Auburn. Bruce Pearl has won his last six games against Tennessee. I went back and looked because the Vols have not beaten them since, I think, his first or second year at Auburn when he was still really finding his footing, very lacking a lot of talent. Bruce Pearl has had Tennessee's number, and after this win against Missouri, 
Thompson Bowling Arena is going to be rocking as the third-ranked Tigers come to town. So uh, it, it's going to be a fun environment, man. I, I just I, I have no idea how this game is going to go. Tennessee yeah. is undefeated at home. They've played so well in Thompson Bowling Arena. Auburn's had, had has had its slip-ups on the road. I mentioned them almost losing to a really bad Georgia team. They right. lost to Florida this past weekend. So I'm going to be honest, Will. I could see Auburn coming in and playing their game. This isn't the Auburn team that you're used to under Bruce Pearl of bombing right. 93s per game, just going <laughs> bombs away and flying up and down the floor and just outrunning everybody. Uh, they certainly have much more of a presence inside, but I truly, I truly have no idea what to expect out of this game. You feel like they match up better, and, and there's trends with how Auburn's been on the road, Tennessee at home, but to me, it's Bruce Pearl and Knoxville, and it's a total crapshoot. Yeah, I, my hot take about this game in Arkansas is Tennessee's not going to finish the season undefeated at home. It, it mm -hmm. just seems too good to be true. I think they yeah. either lose Saturday against Auburn or they lose the next Saturday against Arkansas. I, I just feel like this team is due to have a cold night shooting at home. I could be wrong, um, but the way – and you're right. The way Bruce Pearl teams have kind of owned Tennessee lately – I mean, the last Tennessee win, like wasn't that Tennessee's like 30-point win – over Auburn, like they destroyed them while we were in college there, like early on. Uh, um, sure, yeah, it was. I think I, I must have been a freshman, I think well, it was it, 2016 because oh, I was okay. a freshman when Rick Barnes started, and it was definitely Rick Barnes. Like, they oh no, you're right, you're them. right, you're right, because my freshman year was was the Donnie Tyndall experience. Um, <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, I was talking, we were talking on the Buck Rising show the other day, that feels like a fever dream. It's like you look back, it's like, that happened, oh yeah, yeah no, that, for sure, that happened. Um, yeah, I'm here looking you go. Up, March 9th, uh, so you, you had two of them. You had February 9th, 2016 in Knoxville. Mm -hmm. uh, Tennessee beat Auburn 71-45 to 45 in 2016. And then in the SEC tournament, you had another one where Tennessee beat Auburn 97-59. <laughs> to 59. <laughs> in, in 2016. Yes. So Tennessee actually lost to that team to start uh, the SEC season in January. They lost to Auburn by seven. Uh, and then they got 22 points from Armani Moore, 16 from Devin Balkman, 17 from Dietrich Mostella, gosh, wow. and 12 from Admiral Schofield, four points from Ray Casongo. Ray Casongo had four yeah, points that's against Auburn pass. in a 97 to 59 win. Uh, that was the Tennessee team. Correct me if I'm wrong. That uh, wasn't that the that was the team that beat Vandy on the Matthew Fisher Davis. Ball was yeah. still on his hand, missed buzzer. I believe so. It uh, was, year two. Because it was my freshman year at UT. It was year uh, one. It was, yeah, it was March 2016. Uh, and I was live tweeting the game for Rocky Top Insider in Fred Brown Hall. I remember that vividly. Because I was like going to Tennessee. That was when they lost to LSU in the next day mm -hmm. um, to Ben Simmons, a team they'd just beaten in Knoxville a couple weeks mm -hmm. before. So. Anyway, a little Tennessee basketball go. recent history for you. Uh, yeah, well, and they haven't beaten Auburn since then. Oh, so that place will be rocking on Saturday. <laughs> we'll be ready for it. We'll be back next week for, for another edition of the UT Podcast. And uh, uh, signing off this week, Ben Joyce, uh, Tennessee's uh, righty reliever, just came in uh, in this game that's happening live um, and threw four consecutive 103 miles per hour fastballs. There you go. Garrett Crochet-esque. Uh, we'll be back at it middle of next week. Make sure to hit the subscribe button if you like the show. Give us a five-star rating if you like the show. If you don't like the show, keep your rating to yourself. We don't want it. Send it back. Uh, if it's if salads on, if the sauce is on top, I send it back. Uh, we'll be back at it next week of the UT Podcast, Zone Podcast Network.
Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more.